So good to be able to be together in God's house. Spring Lake Park, Maple Grove, and Elk River as well. And uh, let's send our greetings to Maple Grove and Elk River if we can with a little applause and cheer. And it's great to be one church in multiple locations. And, uh, you know, there's so many great things that are happening at, at Emmanuel. I don't know if you've been paying attention within the past few weeks. We just had, uh, at, a, at a global level, we're making an impact. We had a team that rode bikes from uh, the Spring Lake Park campus all the way to Duluth last weekend. That's 160 miles. And, uh, and they did this with the purpose of raising funds and awareness to be able to uh, send meals and provisions over to Burmese refugees that are on the Thai border. And this Bike for Burma team that, that headed out, Dr. Lori was one of them, Pastor David Nything was one of them, and we had people from our different campuses that were part of this team, and they rode up in, a, in two different days, and it made it the whole way there. Their goal was to raise $20,000, sorry, and they actually overshot and raised $22,000. So that was it's a remarkable thing. Thank you, Jesus. And uh, one, of the, one of the exciting things about this is that those funds help to provide a container filled with food, with meals. Each one of those dollars represents a meal uh, that's, that we're able to provide for Burmese refugees over on the Thai border. And we have a team from Emmanuel that's going to be heading out later this fall that are going to be able to take and actually physically hand out uh, the meals in, on the Thai border there. So that's, that's a pretty exciting thing. Last night, our youth sent a team to Ecuador to partner with our uh, missionary partner, Pastor Phil Johnson is over there, and, uh, and he's leading a, a team of our, our youth that are going to be partnering with an orphanage down there. We have 85 different partners and ministries that, uh, that we work with throughout the world, and, uh, and it's exciting to think of all the great things that are happening. At a local level, community-wise, what's happening is we've got a lot of great things. Dr. Lori mentioned that we have Zumba uh, Saturday mornings at our Maple Grove campus. We've got the School of Artistic Refinement that's starting this Thursday, which is classes for, for uh, music and uh, different instruments and talent singing choir. And then we have, these, these are all responses to some of the needs that the community has communicated to us. That uh, they've, they've asked, can you provide some of these, you know, accessible exercise classes or, or classes for music? And so we are responding in a tangible way that way. We've had, uh, um, we got our sports camp coming up. We've had parades in the community. Maple Grove, we got our parade this Thursday evening. Uh, and then another really exciting thing that's happening is that, Emmanuel Live, so the worship team from Emmanuel, is going to be leading worship in the heart of Maple Grove at Town Green this Saturday as part of the conclusion of Maple Grove Days. And so at 3 p.m., you guys are all invited if you want to go there, the amphitheater. And uh, it's going to be great to be able to, to kind of establish and, and, uh, and invite God's presence into the heart of Maple Grove. What an incredible privilege God's given us to impact our cities wherever we're at. Amen? So... Good things are happening. And since you asked on the home front for the Grahams family, um, we are, we are, we're doing great. My wife is on, uh, we're about halfway through a one-month trip that she has taken to Argentina. And, uh, and we're, we, we're all fine. We checked the pulse of my kids today, and they're, they're, they're doing good. 
And uh, so we're, you know, two and some weeks in, and uh, she's visiting family, got open up an opportunity for her to go down. She's actually preaching this morning down there, and we'll be preaching this evening, and uh, just grateful for opportunities like that. Uh, the kids miss their mom. They like me, but they love their mom. And, <laughs> and I can't blame them, you know, because after uh, two weeks of eating Eggos and Pop-Tarts, uh, breakfast, lunch, dinner. I mean, you need to, mom just has a way of, of nourishing them differently than I do. It's, there's this, this, one of the great things about technology, we get to FaceTime and kind of interact and we do it multiple times uh, throughout the day and, and uh, she prays for them and then they give each other virtual kisses uh, before bedtime and all that good stuff. And there's one, one app that we really enjoy, which is called Find Your Friends, also known as the stocking app. And, uh, and, uh, and so the kids have also, on top of uh, Eggos and Pop-Tarts, have, we've, we've really hit up all the drive-thrus in town. And my wife has, like, she does screenshots, and she's like, what are you getting at Wednesdays now? And uh, so it's, it's like the Lord's always paying attention, and then there's my wife from 6,000 miles away, right? But she'll be getting back soon, and, uh, and we're missing her. Um, one, of the, one of the other things I was thinking, you know, we got our bulletin here with the Daniel series that we're in. And, and uh, the center of the, of the bulletin, it's got the Grow in Faith Fasting Challenge. This might be a great opportunity to teach my kids how to fast. I don't know what you guys think, but I'm kind of chewing on that idea. I might, you know, introduce it 10 days before mom gets home. Hey, guys, we're doing a fasting thing. 10 days. Daniel fast. Pastor Nate asked us to do it. So, um, as we're in this book of Daniel, uh, study of the word, our hope and our, our desire is that you really get a renewed love and, and, uh, and just hunger for the voice of God. And, and uh, as we go to the word today, that God would speak to us. Same voice created heavens and earth is going to speak to each of our hearts today. So let's turn to Daniel chapter 4, if you will, with me. And what it says in the first three verses is really going to catch our attention because of, of who's narrating uh, this chapter. It's, it's, it's kind of a unique chapter. Let's read together. Daniel chapter 4, uh, verse 1 through 3 is what we're going to read. King Nebuchadnezzar sent this message to the people of every race and nation and language throughout the world. Peace and prosperity to you. I want you all to know about the miraculous signs and wonders that the Most High God has performed for me. Everyone say, for me. How great are his signs. How powerful his wonders. How his kingdom will last forever. His rule through all generations. It's interesting that Nebuchadnezzar is the one that's, that's narrating this chapter. He's going to be speaking in first person, telling his story. He's sending this message out. It's a letter he's sending out throughout his empire, and he's giving his testimony. It's almost like, I, I almost call this the gospel according to Nebuchadnezzar, because he's sending the message of the good news throughout the world to every uh, tribe and tongue and nation, right? And, uh, and what he's saying is God has done something in me, for me. He's spoken to me. God's done a remarkable thing in me. And it's kind of like one of those uh, movies or, or episodes that you can watch in a series where you see the end and then it says 13 months before and then you got to kind of figure out how it landed at that spot. You know that things fared well. He's writing it. He lived. He didn't die. Uh, so so we, we're going to see what was the great and astonishing work that God did in his life. 
But I want to stop and just, and just really emphasize the fact that God is always at work in every single one of our lives. It's not a wasted day in our lives. There's not a day without purpose uh, for God. There's not a day where, where he uh, is not speaking into our hearts. There's always something that God wants to do in our lives. Yesterday as I was uh, working on, on reviewing and, and finishing up my notes and, and praying for today, I got a text from a good friend of mine. Uh, Steve sent me a little clip from the movie The Color Purple, and, and it was uh, the song of uh, God is trying to say something to me, you know, and, 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 and it was just kind of almost like a confirmation that God is always trying to speak to us. How many of you guys can identify that God is always trying to speak? It takes a while to recognize his voice. Sometimes we're, we, 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 you know, in this learning curve of, of dialogue with God and prayer and learning to recognize his voice, we learn that, that you know, the scripture is going to be foundational. He's never going to say something that goes against what's in the Bible. Uh, we learn that also God will speak through people. He might speak through a song. He might speak through a sermon. might speak through a book. God might use a friend in your life, might use your, your connect group, might use, uh, you know, a pastor. It, it, people are also instrumental in God communicating. Then he uses other unique things like circumstances or uses uh, things like dreams. And that's what happened to Nebuchadnezzar. Now, if you're filling out uh, the notes on, on this uh, bulletin, might, you know, got the fill in the blank thing here. And... Uh, I promise you will get, you will not, I will not leave unfilled blanks for you, okay? So if you have that, you're like, ah, what was that last point, okay? Uh, we will complete this. I'm almost tempted to give them all to you right now, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stretch it out and uh, help you savor the word. First one would be trace God's hand in your life. Trace God's hand in your life. You can always look back and, and realize that God has been present. He's been active in your life. He has orchestrated moments, events, circumstances to show you that he is Lord, to show you that he is good, to show you that he is near, to show you that he is merciful. You can look back and trace his work and his voice in your life. Love that some people um, journal their, their, uh, their, their prayers to God. And you can, you have, like, a, you've registered the things that God has spoken to you. You can look back in a tangible way. That's a very recommendable uh, way of, of approaching prayer and faith. And Nebuchadnezzar is, is a great example, the fact that God doesn't only work in the Daniels and in the children of Israel. He's at work in this pagan king who doesn't know much about God. He's got his own a limited perspective, but God loves him because God loves the world. He loves humanity, and he's at work in his life. Learn to recognize his work and his voice as he speaks to you. You have a story to tell. The hand of God in your life writes an amazing story that is best told by you. Every one of us can point back and trace the uh, work of God in our life, and every one of us has a story to tell of his faithfulness. Regardless of how long you've known God or how much you know about the Bible, you know that God has worked in your life. So as uh, we jump into looking at, at Nebuchadnezzar's own story, uh, I'm going to invite you to read verse 4 through 8 with me. And it says, I, Nebuchadnezzar, 
was living in my palace in comfort and prosperity. So things start pretty good for him. But one night I had a dream that frightened me. I saw visions that terrified me as I lay in my bed. So I issued an order calling all the wise men of Babylon so they could tell me what the dream meant. When all the magicians, enchanters, astrologers, and fortune tellers came in, I told them the dream, but they could not tell me what it meant. At last, Daniel came in before me, and I told him the dream. And he was named Belshazzar after my God, for the spirit of the holy gods is in him. Nebuchadnezzar, I mean, he's, it's, 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 this is not the first time he's had a dream, remember? A couple chapters ago, he had the dream of the big statue, and then Daniel was the one that interpreted it for him. First, he couldn't remember what the dream was, and he, then Daniel told him, this is what you dreamed, this is what it meant, and you are the gold head on the statue. Oh, so God reigns, and he places kings and kingdoms, and, and okay, I got it. Next chapter, he's building himself a, a big statue made out of gold. He missed the point. And then uh, the, the three children of Israel, you know, are, are, they face the furnace. They choose to worship God above all other, all other uh, distractions in life. And he throws them in the fire. And then there's a fourth uh, person walking in the, in the furnace with them. Seemed like the son of God. And, uh, and, and he says, oh, okay, God is the only one that needs to be worshipped. Now the fourth chapter of Daniel, Nebuchadnezzar seems to have this this issue with, with uh, self-absorption and admiration and, and pride and arrogance. Because he's, this is exactly what God is going to deal with in his life. And he has this dream where there's this big tree, fruitful, and it's, it's got, it gives big shade and it, it, it towers over the earth. And the beasts of, of the field come and they find shelter and they're eating from it. And all of a sudden there's a messenger that shows up, an angel, and says, cut it down. And leave the stump, leave the roots, but cut it down and chain that stump. And so that the tree is cut down and then it's, it's chained there and it, and it says it needs to soak up with the dew from heaven. And it's just going to remain there in the wilderness for seven periods of time. And, and, uh, and then you will learn until it learns that God is sovereign and learns that God reigns. And he's kind of baffled by this. And so he calls Daniel in, and Daniel, Daniel uh, comes, and he, and he prays, and he receives the interpretation. And uh, I want you to read with me in verse 22 when, when Daniel uh, explains the meaning of the dream to Nebuchadnezzar. That tree, your majesty, is you. For you have grown, grown strong and great. Your greatness reaches up to the heaven, and you rule to the ends of the earth. When you saw a messenger, a holy one, coming down from heaven and saying, cut down the tree and destroy it, but leave the stump and the roots in the ground, bound with a band of iron and bronze and surrounded by tender grass. Let him be drenched with the dew of heaven. Let him live with the animals of the field for seven periods of time. This is what the dream means, your majesty, and what the Most High has declared will happen to my Lord the King. You will be driven from human society. And you will live in the fields with the wild animals. You will eat grass like a cow. And you will be drenched with dew of heaven. Seven periods of time will pass while you live this way until you learn. Everyone say, until you learn. That the Most High rules over the kingdoms of the world and gives them to anyone he chooses. But the stump and the roots of the tree were left in the ground. This means that you will receive your kingdom back again when you have learned. Everyone say, when you have learned. When you have learned that heaven rules. I've got that whole phrase underlined in my Bible. When you have learned that heaven rules. 
Daniel then says, King Nebuchadnezzar, please accept my advice. In light of the dream that you just had, in light of everything that God's speaking to you, stop sinning and do what is right. Break from your wicked past and be merciful to the poor. Perhaps then you will continue to prosper. And oftentimes God's, God will speak to us when we're going through difficulty and pain. C.S. Lewis said that, that pain is God's megaphone. It's the way that he gets our attention. But God is not silent when we're living in the palace of comfort and prosperity. The problem is there's, there's so many things that are competing for our attention. We become so used to uh, convenience that sometimes that attempts against uh, God's voice in our lives. But God nonetheless gets his attention through this dream, and he teaches them what's going to be the second point on your outline. He teaches them a great truth that is still true for us today. Overcome the trap of pride. There's a warning for him. You need to overcome the trap of pride. It's interesting as I was looking into uh, the, you know, what, what investigating pride, you know, and just looking and reading, and there's there's so many uh, writers and philosophers and theologians that have dedicated words to defining and and uh, and pointing out how negative pride is, and uh, you know you got uh, since the fourth century, it's listed as one of the seven deadlier capital sins. You got uh, scripture in, in the Old Testament, Proverbs, you know, that pride becomes, comes before the Paul. God hates the arrogant and the proud. It's pretty strong language. That God uh, will resist and oppose the proud. And then it talks about, you know, in, 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 in the New Testament, how, how we need to be humble and submit to God and that he will raise us up in his due time. There's, there's uh, you know, philosophers, Sophocles. There's uh, writers like Shakespeare, David Hume. Thomas Jefferson talked about pride. George Clooney talked about pride. Nietzsche, Mark Twain, Leo Tolstoy, Voltaire, J.K. Rowling dedicated some words to uh, talk about pride. Pascal, there's such a wide array of writers, thinkers, uh, public figures that come to the conclusion that pride is bad. You guys already knew that, right? You didn't need George Clooney to tell you that pride's bad, right? But humanity agrees in its rejection of pride, and yet humanity continues to gravitate towards it. The reason so many people notice it is because it's so rampant throughout, uh, throughout the human condition. And it's so easy to identify in others, isn't it? But how many of you guys are, are proud of how humble you are? so hard to, uh, to identify it in our own lives. And we hate it when someone points out that blind spot. They're like, hey, you, you're kind of cocky and arrogant. Did you know that? And uh, you're like, no, no, that's you. That's not me, right? Um, pride affects our perspective. It, it gives us a, a, a distorted reading of who we are. It distorts our perspective of who others are. I, I love a, a quote that I found in Mark Twain writes, and he says, when I was a boy of 14, uh, my father was so ignorant, I could hardly stand to have the old man around. But when I got to be 21, I was astonished at how much the old man had learned in seven years. <laughs> when we're proud, um, we feel like we've already arrived. We have nothing more to learn, and we have a distorted view of the people who surround us.
Pride is expressed in self-centeredness, narcissism, arrogance, self-deceit. Pride poisons all of your relationships. It separates you from the most important relationship, which is your relationship with God. Psalm 10 verse 4 says in the NIV, In his pride the wicked man does not seek him. In all his thoughts there is no room for God. Now like what Ezra Taft Benson says, the proud wish God would agree with them. They are not interested in changing their opinions to agree with God. C.S. Lewis has a couple thoughts also that are really good. As long as you are proud, you cannot know God. A proud man is always looking down on things and people. And of course, as long as you are looking down, you cannot see something that is above you. Pride is the complete anti-God state of mind. Andrew Murray, last quote for you. Pride must die in you or nothing of heaven can live in you. Like I said, it's hard to identify or assess if we do have an issue with pride. Because we, we become kind of used, it's like explaining water to a fish. You know, you can get, you don't hear your own accent, you hear other people's accent, but not your own. And, uh, and I've got, there's all these uh, pride tests that you can look up. And, and I had fun with that. And I kind of blended some of them. There's a really good one by Nancy Lay Demas. She's got like 40 different questions. I've got, I've got less than that. But here's some questions for you to kind of self-assess where you're at. When was the last time you said these words to a coworker or family member? I was wrong. Please forgive me. Do you find it hard to apologize without explaining? Do you look down on others who are less educated, less affluent, less refined or less successful than yourself? Do you get offended easily? Is it hard for you to admit your faults? Do you have a hard time admitting you were wrong? Do you find it hard to talk about your feelings? Do you avoid someone after you've had a silly argument with them? Do you ever feel better than other people? How often do you boast about your achievements and results with your friends? Are you quick to find faults in others? Do you frequently criticize your spouse, your pastor, or people in a position of leadership? Are you driven to receive approval, praise, and or acceptance? Are you argumentative? Do you have a hard time confessing sin to God and or to others? Do you have a hard time expressing your real spiritual needs and struggles with others? Are you excessively shy? Do you become defensive when you are criticized or corrected? Do you frequently interrupt people when they are speaking? Do you find it hard to listen? Do you talk about yourself too much? Do you react to rules feeling they don't apply to you? Are you uncomfortable inviting people to your home because you think it's not nice enough? Is it hard for you to let others know that you need their help? How many of you guys felt a little uncomfortable with at least one of these questions? The hard thing is we, we need to look, introspection works when you apply it to yourself, right? Because right now we're like, oh, I'm so glad he came, Lord, minister to his heart, speak to him, Father, right? And, uh, or you're like, oh, man, I'm, I'm going to have to, I hope they post it tonight so I can send the link of this message. My wife sure needs to hear this. And, uh, 
And it's so hard to think of other people to apply it to, but we need to see if the shoe fits on us first, right? Overcome the trap of pride. Trap, that, that trap will poison all your relationships, will cut you off from God, will keep you away from him. That's why God came to Nebuchadnezzar and he said, we need to deal with this. This, is, this, is, this cannot go on as it is. Let's read on what it says in verse 28. But all these things did happen to King Nebuchadnezzar. Twelve months later, he was taking a walk on the flat roof of the royal palace in Babylon. I want to just pause there for a moment. This is kind of reminiscent of King David in 2 Samuel chapter 11. Walking on the rooftop of the palace. Just taking a stroll, looking at my accomplishments, at my greatness. And, uh, and King Nebuchadnezzar is going to look out and he's going to look down on his kingdom. David, when he looked out, he looked out and felt like he was above the rules and values that God had established for them. And so we need to, we need to watch out when we, we adopt this attitude of looking down and looking like we're above. And it says that uh, he looked out across the city and he said, look at this great city of Babylon. By my own mighty power, I have built this beautiful city as my royal residence to display my majestic splendor. Guys, notice anything in this, the phrasing here? Emphasis added, right? And uh, there's, there's just such an absorption uh, with himself. He's so centered on himself. He's, he, he steps into the trap uh, just in, you know, in, in the most ironic way. He, he, he does exactly what God had warned him. Twelve months before, God had warned him. And he forgot. But can we blame him? How often do we forget the things that God speaks to us? What sermon was preached 12 months ago? What chapter of the Bible were you reading 12 months ago? And yet we lose track. It's like we have spiritual amnesia and, uh, and, and, and comfort is often the enemy of obedience in our lives. Um, we, we, we forget his, the Lord's voice because we get complacent and comfortable or we just become spiritual procrastinators. We just put off the things that God is challenging us to do. Let's keep on reading. Verse 31, while these words were still in his mouth, a voice called down from heaven. O King Nebuchadnezzar, this message is for you. You are no longer ruler of this kingdom. You will be driven from human society. You will live in the fields with wild animals and you will eat grass like a cow. Seven periods of time will pass while you live this way until you learn that the Most High God rules over the kingdoms of the world and gives them to anyone he chooses. Until you learn. Judgment was first announced, then it was fulfilled. And what are the lessons that, that, that we learn from this? You know, his, his, uh, he was stripped of authority, of power, of splendor, dignity, sanity. And it's a clear picture of what pride can do to us if we harbor it in our hearts. The story stuck around. If you read, I'm just going to give you the quote. But one chapter later, chapter 5, verse 20, we're going to hear this message next week. Nebuchadnezzar's grandson is king. And, and the story is still around about how your grandpa, he got so arrogant and his heart was so inflated that he needed to be stripped from the kingdom. Pride led him to his downfall. 
And that's the lesson that he needed until you learn. What was the lesson he needed to learn? He needed to learn a life of humility. Humility is more than a concept. It's a lifestyle. It's learned. It's not an innate ability. It's not something you're born with. Um, you know, there's misconceptions about it. Some people think it's insecurity or it's, you know, it's having kind of a low self-esteem. Nothing could be more uh, wrong. Humility is having a correct self-assessment. It's seeing ourselves as God sees us. We're not more and we're not less than what God says that we are. We're not more than anyone else. We're not less than anyone else. It's a, it's a healthy self-view. Humility is not passivity. It's not being a pushover. It's being strong and confident in who God has defined us to be. Charles Spurgeon says humility is to make a right estimate of oneself. The clearest definition of humility is definitely the person of Jesus. He said in Matthew eleven twenty nine, 29, Take my yoke upon you, let me teach you, because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your soul. It's exhausting to be arrogant. It's renewing and refreshing to be humble like Jesus is. Learn from me. Walk with me. Take that yoke. Come under the yoke with me and learn the cadence of my step, the way I do life. And as we walk with him, we realize the Son of Man didn't come to be served, but to serve and give his life in ransom for others. John 13, it says that he came and he, he put on a towel and he washed the feet of the disciples. And, and, and he said, now you ought to do the same for others. Paul will later, later add in Philippians 2 that we need to have the same mindset of Christ, that we need to um, adopt that same mentality and, and not be self-serving or self-absorbed, but to live to serve others and walk in humility. Colossians 3.12, since God chose you to be his holy people, he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tenderhearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. It's not a single moment appeal. It's, a, it's an everyday state of mind. It's a lifestyle invitation. You cannot follow Jesus and lead a life of arrogance. The more you follow him, the more you'll reflect his heart of humility. How many say amen to this? Humility enriches all of our relationships. Look what it says in 1 Peter 5, 5, second half of the verse. And all of you, dress yourselves in humility as you relate to one another. For God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humility will enrich your marriage. It will enrich your parenting. It will enrich your relationship with coworkers, with employees, with your bosses. It will enrich your relationship with your peers, with your friends. And above all things, it will enrich your relationship with your creator. Because God gives grace to the humble. Humility attracts the heart of God and the work of God into our lives as well. Now, what does this mean? It means that when you're in success, you learn to honor God and others. When you're in error, you learn to apologize and live out true repentance. When you're in pain, you learn to trust God and his justice. Meekness goes along with humility. When you're in anger, you don't forget to listen and you don't forget to forgive. You make room for God's sovereignty. And when you're in doubt, you simply make room for God in your life. The humble are aware of the fact that we need to know and grow and learn and receive more from God. 
We are aware that we are in need of him. Blessed are the poor of heart. The poor in spirit, Jesus said. They will inherit the kingdom of God. When we acknowledge our need, then we begin to inherit and receive God's will and his kingdom in our lives. To end this chapter, let's read uh, verses 34 and on. At this, after this time had passed, I, Nebuchadnezzar, looked up to heaven. Everyone say, looked up to heaven. My sanity returned, and I praised and worshiped the Most High and honored the one who lives forever. His rule is everlasting, and his kingdom is eternal. All the people of earth are nothing compared to him. He does as he pleases among the angels of heaven and among the people of earth. No one can stop him or say, what do you mean by doing these things? When my sanity returned, so did my honor, my glory, and my kingdom. My advisors and nobles sought me out, and I was restored. Everyone say, I was restored. As head of my kingdom, an even greater honor than before. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and glorify and honor the kingdom of heaven. He learned that, that heaven rules. All his acts are just and true, and he is able to humble the proud. God didn't leave him as a beast in the fields, eating grass, cast away, disposable. No. God awaited for that moment because that, that, that judgment was until he learned, right? And until he learned, and at that moment, he looked up. He raised his eyes to heaven. And heaven was close. Heaven was at hand. You know, what if, what if the current season of suffering that you're walking through is the result of, of not learning or resisting something that God wants to mold and shape in your life? I'm not saying that's always the case, but oftentimes it is. What if God can move you into the next chapter at the moment when you stop bucking and resisting and, 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 and just defying God and lift up your heart, lift up your eyes to heaven and just say, God, you reign. You're just. You're good. Love that he didn't have a victim mentality, didn't, didn't adopt a mindset of, of, of criticism. He... He truly became humble. He was humbled. And you know what? Pride repels grace, but humility attracts grace. There can be no true restoration without true repentance. Restoration begins when we look up to heaven. It's almost like the prodigal son looking up and saying, why am I, why am I sticking around here in this muck? I need to get up and go back home. God will guide us through a process of healing and grace, and he restores sanity and dignity. We sang about this earlier. He'll restore trust. He'll restore responsibility. It's not immediate, and it's not without pain, but it's effective because he's not only the creator, he is the restorer. It's true to his essence. My challenge to you today is to listen for his voice and embrace the lessons that he wants to teach. If there's arrogance in you, today is the day to look up to heaven and say, God, I want, I want this to die in my heart. I don't want this to, to continue. I don't want this to drive a wedge between you and me. 
If there's an area of your life that needs to be restored, I want, this is something specific for you today. Um, some of you might feel that you are beyond restoration, that so long, such a long time has gone by that you are, you're not able to even be rescued. But God is, he's telling you that today is a day to look up to heaven and that today your restoration begins. How many say amen to that? Time won't heal. Time won't heal, but God will. It's not a matter of just waiting it out. It's a matter of looking up to heaven. I'm going to invite at all of our campuses, uh, our prayer teams to come to the front, Spring Lake Park, Maple Grove, Elk River, and we're going to prepare to respond in just a moment. Um, I'm going to turn it over to our campus pastors at Maple Grove and Elk River and invite you to all stand with me.